We're going to be in John 21 in just a minute. Our last chapter in John, and I have certainly enjoyed working our way through this beautiful book, and uh, boy, it's taught me a lot. It's taught me a lot. I hope you have learned from it um, as we look at the, the last chapter. It's almost like Jesus has a little unfinished business with some of his disciples it's a very beautiful chapter, um, and he's dealing with the disciples, but it seems like he's dealing specifically with, with Peter this morning. You remember just a few days ago, Peter had denied him three times, and it had to weigh heavy on Peter's mind because Peter, you remember what he said the night of the Passover dinner with the Lord, Lord, I'd never deny you. I, I would die for you. I, I, I'll, I'll, when everybody leaves you, I'll be there. And I think there's times that we've all said that in our life. Lord, I, I'm there for you. Lord, I, I've got this covered. Lord, I am, I am right there where you need me to be. And it won't be 30 seconds or it won't be two hours. And we feel like we fall flat on our face. I feel that way a lot as a pastor sometimes. It just feels like one minute you're on top of things and you've got it all going the right direction. Next minute you feel like you've just, just got it all messed up. And it's amazing to me how he takes imperfect people like myself and he chooses to work through us anyway. And it's not because of who we are. It's not because of what we can do for him. It's, it's just because of who he is and how gracious he is. And as we sang, there's power in the blood. There's power in, the, in Christ. There's power in the spirit. And he chooses just to, to show up and do something miraculous in people that otherwise it just wouldn't happen. There is no way that I get up here from Sunday to Sunday and, and teach his word to you on my own. I remember many years ago, I was filling in one Sunday for Brother Raymond. And at that time, preaching seemed like it was like a million miles away, Gary. It just seemed like, a, you know, something way out there. I, I remember one night preaching that night, and I remember about halfway through the sermon or I, I, whatever I was trying to do, I don't know if you'd call it a sermon, but I said, man, I, I remember thinking this to this day. That is the last thing that I would ever want to do with my life is be a preacher. And so I realized that this is all about God, okay? This is all about God, me standing here and me doing these things. And I think I relate to Peter because it feels like when we fail and we deny Christ and we do the worst that we can possibly do, he just takes us and uses us anyway. And his forgiveness is rich. His grace is awesome. And even though we don't deserve any of it, he just, he just pours it out on us. And it's so great that we just, we feel like we're going to drown sometime because his grace and his promises and his hope and his love is so amazing. And he just, he just keeps pouring it on us. I thank him for that, don't you? I thank him for that. That he uses us in spite of ourselves. And today we see that with Peter. The verse there, it's not up on the screen, but I wanted to finish with the verse we finished with last Sunday, and then we'll get into our text. But just, if you're in your Bible, just back up one, two scriptures in chapter 20 there. It said the purpose of John's gospel. I just wanted to remind us of this one more time before we ended up the book today. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, 
But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. By believing you may have life in his name. Let's look at chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. Now, remember what we studied. It was here last Sunday night. We studied about Thomas. And it, first of all, Jesus came to the disciples. He just kind of appeared in the room, which was an awesome thing to think about. He didn't come. It says the doors were locked. And he wasn't in, you know, they, he wasn't in there. And all of a sudden, he was in there. And I don't know if he walked through the door just like a, a ghost or if he just appeared. I, I kind of think, like I said last night, I think he just kind of appeared to the disciples. And everyone was there but Thomas. And, and they're touching the prince in his hand and, and the, the, the prince in his side where the spear was. And, and they're just amazed that this is Jesus Christ. And so they're, Jesus leaves and they run to tell Thomas. And Thomas says, I, I won't believe it until I see it with my own eyes. And we're a lot like that. I, I won't believe it until I see it with my own eyes. Guys, let, let, me, let me try to encourage all of us to have strong faith in Jesus. Even though we may not be able to see all this with our own eyes, even though we may not be able to, to touch it and feel it with our own hands, believe that what Jesus said is real. It is real. And it's going to happen just as sure as the nose is on your face. It's here. He's real, and he is a real God. So, God, Jesus comes and appears to Thomas and the rest of them, and, and Thomas puts his, his hands in the prints, and he puts his hand in, the, in where the spear was, and Thomas says, my Lord and my God. It just, it just overwhelmed him that he was seeing a, a risen Savior, a risen Lord, the one he had followed, and he was there with him. So afterwards, that's what that's saying. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Now, they have journeyed a few miles north of Jerusalem, and they're fishing. All right, they're there by the sea. It happened this way, John says. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, was there. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. About seven of them, if you count that up. There's about seven of them sitting around. And, and I guess they're thinking, well, I wonder what we do next. I wonder what the Lord wants us to do now. I wonder what our first mission will be. I wonder what Jesus is up to right now. You know, just, just kind of thinking. And uh, Peter, you know, he's kind of leading the way. And he says, uh, I'm going to go out and go fishing. That's a pretty good uh, thing to do, isn't it, Michael? Just go fishing, you know? I, I think I'll go fishing. A lot of people say, oh, this just shows that he went back to his old way. Uh, this just shows that he wasn't going to follow God. And I just, I don't really buy that. I just think that he said, I'm going to do something while I'm sitting here. Let's just go fishing. Maybe they were hungry. Maybe he needed to catch some, maybe he needed to make a little money. You know, I don't know. But he decides to go fishing. Kind of, I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. You ever fish all night and catch nothing? I know some of these guys have. Some of you are raising your hand. Yeah, I remember that. Okay. Now, some, some spiritual scholars will read into this. Well, they weren't obeying God's will. They weren't doing this or weren't doing that. But we know very well that sometimes you go fishing and guess what? You don't catch anything. All right? You don't catch anything. Well, the amazing thing is here that God's fixing to show up. All right, let's read a little further. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, it could have been just breaking daylight. You know, you can't see very well. Just kind of, you know, kind of trying to look through there. I know 
some of you are deer hunters in here too. It seems like a sportsman's message this morning. But I know some of you are deer hunters too, and you've been out there very early, and you think you see something, but you're not quite sure, you know. You think you might, there might be something out there. You're hearing something, and it could have been that early in the morning. Um, it could have been they were so busy fishing they didn't realize who was going on. You know, sometimes when you're busy, you know somebody's over there, but you really don't mess with it. But the other thing is to think about is that sometimes in all of our lives, we're so busy doing what we're doing that we don't even realize that Jesus is right there. Sometimes we go, God, where are you? Or sometimes we don't, even, we don't really even ask. We don't really even care where he's at. We're just so busy with day-to-day life, we don't even think about it. And as I read that verse, it says, they did not realize that it was Jesus. Guys, listen to me. Let's not any of us get so busy in our lives that we realize, don't realize that Jesus is right there with us. Because he said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Please do not get so busy with life that we forget Jesus. And it's real easy to do, amen? It's real easy to do. You get raising kids, and you get taking care of grandkids, and you get busy at work, and you start working 12-hour days and six- and seven-hour weeks, and, and you get worried about the bills, and you get worried about this and that, and you get worried about trying to do this and that, and all of a sudden you look up, and maybe it's been a week since you prayed. Maybe it's been a week since you broke up on God's Word and, and see what he had to say to you that day. Let us all be very careful. It's so easy. It is so easy to do. Be very, very careful that life don't get you so busy that you don't have time for Jesus. Be very, very careful. Moving on to verse 5, he called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? Now, this question is not like, did you catch anything? Because remember, this is Jesus, so he knows. It's like, you haven't caught anything, have you? Isn't it something coming up against God? Now, a lot of times we try to fool him and think we got it all under control or we think we're right there where we need to be. And uh, you can almost hear his voice saying, you hadn't got it right today, have you? He's not saying, how'd things go today, you know? He's saying, you haven't got it right today, have you? And that's what he's talking to the disciples here. He's not saying, have you caught anything yet? He's saying, you hadn't caught anything, have you? Because he knows You know, in one hand, we're so glad that God knows everything about us. And I think on the other hand, sometimes we're not so glad that God knows everything about us. Because we can't tell him a lie. We can't pull the wool over his eyes, so to speak. We can't blind him to what we're about. We think we can go over here and do our own thing and God, then we can invite God over when he gets ready. Listen, God is there. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. He's at my house and he's at your house and he's everywhere at the same time. That's what makes him God. And they're trying to figure out and you know, they don't go, well, we, you know, you know, you, now this couldn't be really true fishermen because they would have said, yeah, we caught one this big and we threw him back. But they said, no, no. Then in verse 6, he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. He didn't say, go try another place. Why don't you move your boat? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? He said, just throw your nets on the right side of the boat. Jesus knew exactly where the fish were. Jesus knows exactly what we need when we need it. Isn't that good to know? Because I like him to hurry up a lot of times. I I have a need, and I need God to meet that right now, but you know what? God knows when to meet that need at the right time, the right place, 
and we don't have to get him in a hurry, and we shouldn't get in a hurry because God is sovereign, which means that God is in control. God's got this all ordered. Nothing surprises God. Nothing overwhelms God, and we need to remember that when we look at things in our life and we're going, why don't things get better? Just remember, God knows, and God will show up at the right time. He knows. Put your net on the right side of the boat. How specific is that? It's a great thing. Why don't you try somewhere else? Why don't you move your boat? Why don't you do this? I know a place, somebody told me down here, he said, put your net on the right side of the boat. See, not only does God have the answer, he has the right answer. And he knows when to give you that answer, and he knows how it will all come out. And that's what we don't know. I don't know what's going to turn out some days in my life. Well, none other days. I don't know what's going to show up or what's going to turn out when I make a decision. But God knows, and that's why he says, please follow me. Follow me. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it, it is Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Now, some said he either ran on top of the water, maybe he walked again on the water, uh, but he probably just splashed down the water. But they were only about 100 yards off the bank. We'll read that here in just a minute. They weren't way out in the deep, but he was about 100 yards. But he said, it's the Lord. And I love, I love the thing about Peter just, you know, remember earlier what he said, I think I'm going to go fishing. But the minute the Lord showed up, that was no good anymore. He wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted to be with Jesus. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the full the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. They're about to have breakfast with Jesus. Now that would be an awesome thing. Jesus had already provided fish. He had a fire there. And in verse 10, he says, just said, Jesus said to them, bring some of your fish you've just caught. Come on over here and add it to what I've got. Let's have breakfast together. And can you imagine the picture as Peter and the other six went up and began to sit around the fire? And I, be, I imagine Peter began to think about things, and he went ahead and pulled in some more fish. Let's finish verse 11, then we'll get to that. So Simon and Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. And here's a very strange thing. He says exactly how many fish? 153. Not, a, not about 150, not about 150. A little over 100 fish, not a little less than 200 fish, 153 fish. Not e- but even with so many, the net was not torn. Now, a lot of people say, well, 153 was the number of languages in the world at that time. Some will say that's uh, the, the, the groups of people that will hear the gospel someday. Um, I think it just shows the variety of the people that are going to be reached for Christ. Now, we've got two things going on here. Right now, we're in evangelism. Now, evangelism is a big churchy word for going out and telling people about Jesus so that they come to know him as Savior. So we're kind of getting that demonstrated to us in this great number of fish that's being caught. He's making them fisher of men, all right? So he's showing them how to catch fish. And so he talks about they caught 153 fish. Isn't it amazing when you do what God says, when you go in his power, that we win so many people to the Lord, we can't even contain it. It just brings in in bunches. Sometimes we go out in our own power. Sometimes we say, all right, we're going to go at this time. We're going to go. And we say, well, there wasn't any response. I I read something this week that I I don't know if I've, I've really 
process in my brain before. God knows where to send you where people are needing to be saved. God knows where to send you where people are needing to be saved. Sometimes we think we're just kind of wandering aimlessly out here, and maybe that's the way, reason why we come up empty so many times, is we just wander around and, well, do you, do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? And there's nothing wrong with sharing that wherever you go, that's for sure. But sometimes I think if we spend a little more time in prayer and a little more time with the Lord, I think he's, he knows where the people are that want to be saved. I think he would send us there if we just listen and we would follow and we would put our net down right where he says to put it down. What did he tell them? Why don't you put your net down on the right side of the boat? And what happened when they'd done that? They couldn't even pull in the fish. It was so big. Maybe the church of America, maybe the churches across this world, maybe we're just going about it the wrong way. Maybe we're going on our, our lead and our thoughts and where we should go. Maybe we're just not spending enough time in prayer saying, Lord, where do you want me to go? Because I know if God knows everything, he knows where the people are that need to be saved. Just something to think about. It just kind of made me think today, this week. 153, and you notice the net was not busted. I think it was telling us that this net, this catch was so great, and the people would understand we don't really fish with nets anymore. We have the rod and reel, but this was so great that this many, many fish would have broke any net. But here John states, but the net was not broken. When we go and we, we tell people about Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, the power will always be there to hold us up and the power will always be there to take and gather the folks in that need to be gathered in. I think it's a great picture of evangelism as we look at what's going on here. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples, and after he was raised from the dead. Now, a few things to look at here. I'm, I'm sure they're, they're still kind of in awe of Jesus being alive. You think about that. Just because you've seen a dead person that's alive now, just because you've seen them one or two times, every time you see them going, I'm sure you would just kind of go into this stare. And, and I think that's what's going on here. He says, come and sit down, let's have breakfast and I believe every one of those men are just sitting there looking at, at Jesus and just amazed that he's standing there before them. I think they're in awe that Jesus is alive. And they want to ask him a ton of questions. What did it feel like on the cross? What was it like when your father turned his back on you? How, how difficult was that? How, how thirsty were you? How, how bad did it hurt? How did you get out of the grave? What did you feel when you come back to life? They're, they're, asking, they're wanting to ask a ton of questions, but none of them really ask anything. They just, they just kind of know it's the Lord, and they just kind of respect him, and they want to believe in him. They just want to see and believe, and they, they understand that. But I'm sure that there's a thousand things running through their mind. Can you imagine what they wanted to ask him? But here it says they did not. And as he broke the bread and, and offered the fish, I'm sure he thought, they thought about the day he fed 5,000 plus. Maybe their minds went back to the night of the Passover when he broke the bread and when they passed the cup, and I'm sure they're thinking about that. 
As Peter looks into the fire there, I wonder if he's thinking about the night he warmed his hands by the enemy fire. I wonder if he's thinking, I can't even look at Jesus. I wonder if, I wonder if Peter has made eye contact with Jesus to this point. I wonder if he's kind of looked at him like this. I wonder if the shame is still there. There's something going on because Jesus in just a minute is going to address Peter and he's going to restore Peter. And I think it's a beautiful thing that even when we fail, even when we deny Christ, Jesus is there. Lots to think about around that fire, isn't it? This was no normal breakfast. This was no normal eating some fish after we caught some. There's a whole lot going on there. And Jesus is still teaching his, his men. He's still teaching them. In just a few days, he'll be ascended to the Father. He will, he will leave this world bodily. He will raise up in the sky, and he will go to take his place at the right hand of the Father. But he begins, and he continues and continues to teach them all that he can cram in there, kind of like taking a final exam. I remember those things, and I remember that I would always wait and study the last night before finals. There was no need to study in weeks before, you know. There wasn't no need in that. Isn't that right, Corbin? Just do it right at the end. You know, right there at the end. Just study as hard as you can and try to remember it. And he's cramming this in. He's wanting to get everything in them he possibly can. Let's see how he deals with Peter. And now we're going to change the story real quick. We're going from fish to sheep. And there's a relevance there. When we see fish in the Bible, we think about fishers of men. Now we think about sheep, and we think about us, believers, as sheep, as a flock. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Notice he uses his old name. Remember, Jesus changed his name. He changed from Simon to Peter to Rock. Now he goes back and uses his old name. wonder what the significance there is. I'm sure Peter caught that too. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now some have said, is he asking that he love him more than his fishing boat? Does he love him more than his family? Maybe he's just asking, do you love me more than these other six guys? And you remember Peter thinking about what's been going on these last few weeks. And you remember the last time Jesus asked him something, he said, Oh, you can count on me. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. When these guys leave you, I'm going to be there. I'll die for you. And we see the humility in Peter's voice. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Now, if you look at the translation of the love word there, It's fond. You know that I'm fond of you. It's not a a deep love. It's not the same brash love that he had before, but that same brash love that he claimed that he had, he really didn't have because he denied him three times. So Peter's a little bit leery now. Just like we all are when we let God down, when we fail, we go to him way more humble than we were maybe just two hours ago when we're praying, Lord, thank you for all you've done. Thank you for making me the person I am. Thank you for making me so powerful. Thank you for all that you do for me. And we pray in that big bravado, and then we fail, and we fall flat on our face, and Lord, I don't even know what to say. I'm so sorry. 
Lord, forgive me. Lord, I don't even know how to pray. Our whole countenance changes. And here Peter's saying, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I'm fond of you. You notice he's not so brave anymore. He's a little bit afraid to step out on that, that limb again and say, Look how strong I am. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He approaches it very humbly. He approaches it very slowly, very almost scared. Lord, Lord, don't, don't take me there. You know that I'm fond of you. Other people say that you can also use the words that they use in Greek, agape and phileo. A phileo love is like a brotherly love or a friendship love. Agape is an unconditional love. And I think here when we first look at this, I think Peter is using a phileo, a a brotherly love, a, a fondness of love. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, we've went from winning souls to catching fish. And what's the first thing we do when we bring in new believers is they're baby lambs. They're babes in Christ. And so he's beginning to set up the church. He's beginning to show uh, Peter uh, pastoral skills. He's showing him uh, discipleship skills. He's showing him things that he needs to do. And guys, as these questions are asked to us as a church this morning, may we realize the answers. First Baptist Kaiser, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your buildings? Do you love me more than your stuff? First Baptist Church of Kaiser, do do you really love me? Uh, Yes, Lord, you you know we're fond of you. Feed my lambs. Take care of those new believers. You see, it's, 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 it's a process. We have to make sure we love God. And then when we love God, the service outflows from that. And we take care of those little ones. We take care of those new believers. If we don't love God, then we won't love others. If we try to love others without loving God, we're loving in the wrong, wrong sense. And if we don't love God with all of our heart, we won't serve in the right way. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Now we've went from lambs to sheep. Now he's talking about those believers that have been believers for a while. Love each other. First Baptist Kaiser, do you love me? Lord, you know we love you. Take care of each other. Forgive each other. Turn that cheek when it needs to be turned. Be humble. Realize that there's none of us in here any better than the other. That we need each other. We need this closeness to go forward in this life. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. 
You know that I love you. You remember, remember the third time that he denied Christ and he got upset? And the Bible said he even cursed. You can see, you can see Peter had a temper like some of most of us. When we get pushed, that temper comes out. And, and you can almost see a little bit of Peter, you know, Lord, you've asked me three times. And I've told you twice that I love you. You know all things. See, he kind of goes back to turn it back to God. You know, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. Lord, the reason I sinned, Adam said, is because that woman you gave me. We, why do we try to blame God for who we are? Peter's saying, Lord, you know all things. You know my heart. If Peter would have stopped a minute, he would have probably said, yep, God knows my heart. And he probably needs to ask me about four more times. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. I'm telling you, this conversation changed very drastically in just a second. They went from, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he wanted Peter to know that was very, that was first. Guys, listen to, to all of us. He's saying to all of us, you must love God more than anything. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We must love God extremely, expressively, number one. And he said it to Peter over and over and over. Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? First Baptist Church Kaiser, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Todd Vinson, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You've got to get that right. If you don't get that right, nothing else will be right. Because you won't serve in the right spirit. You won't take care of people in the right spirit. You have to understand God before you can love each other. You have to understand God before you can disciple. You have to understand where God's coming from before you can spell him out to other people in a proper way. And then he tells Peter this. He said, you say you love me. And here's what's going to happen. When you were younger, you could go and do whatever you want. But there's coming a time real close, Peter. They're going to stretch your hands out just like they did mine. And you're going to die for the cause of Christ. The books on martyrs and things says this, that Peter was crucified on a cross upside down. He said, I am not worthy to be crucified the same way that Jesus was. And they crucified him on a cross and turned him upside down. Can you imagine the blood rushing to your head, the nails in your hands and feet? And he said, Peter, you're going, to die. you're going to die for what you just said. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The church of the United States, guys, we're coming to a point where we may have to sacrifice all to show the world that we love Jesus. This is not going to be playtime. You see, we have all, we have all benefited from our forefathers. And I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that we have just relaxed and we have basked in the glory and the work of our forefathers of this country. And we have remained silent, we have remained silent, we have remained silent, we have remained silent, 
And all the while, God's going, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me, church? Do you love me, Church of America? And we've compromised, and we've compromised, and we've compromised. Try not to hurt anybody's feelings. And I'm afraid playtime may be over. I pray that I am strong enough. I pray that you are strong enough. I pray that our church is strong enough to say, I love Jesus more than anything. Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. And Lord, listen to me, folks. This is going to be, have to be more than just being fond of him. You're going to have to love him with your whole heart. And you're going to have to love him more than your family, more than your jobs, more than anything. You're going to have to love Christ first. Because anyone that follows Christ, it's not always an easy road. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That's what he said. And you remember what happened? It said right after that, and many that followed him said, we'll follow him no more. This is just too hard. Guys, I have no idea what the future is going to bring. I have no idea what's going to happen in this country or this world. But I do know if you look at Revelation that things are going to get progressively worse. And I hate to say that because I like to feel like, hey, hurrah. But according to the Scripture, things are going to get progressively worse. And there's coming a time when all of us are going to have to stand up for the Lord. I pray that we are doing that already. Many of you are. Many of us are. But don't grow weary in doing that. Realize that you love Jesus and tell him that and, and make that real. Make it evident in your life. Not that you're just fond of him, but that you love him with an agape, with an unconditional love. And I know that's very difficult for us as human beings to love unconditionally. But I also know this. When we were saved, the Holy Spirit came into us. And it gives us the power of God. It gives us the power to love like God does. And if we'll call on that power, he will not keep anything back from us using that power. Just as he made that net hold all them 153 fish, he will make your heart and he'll make your life be able to hold whatever the, whatever the devil, whatever comes your way, he will give you the strength to do that and you'll be able to love like God loves. Because if we can't, it's just a cheap salvation. I don't believe it's cheap at all. We just don't call on the power of God enough. We've got 220 power and we rely on 110 a lot of times. Do you love me? Put your name in there this morning. I put my name in there all week, and I just, I didn't like the answers that I was getting a lot of times. Do you love me? Feed my babies. Do you love me? Serve those around you. Do you love me? Take my message to the world. Let's pray. And Father, as we think about these very heavy questions, and Lord, there's some, there's some unknowing things that we don't know. 
There's some doubt that creeps up in our hearts. There's always this urge to want to do better, and it just seems like we don't. And Lord, I think a lot of times in my life, it's because I, I just try to will myself to be better rather than calling on your power to make me better. Lord, help us not only be fond of you, help us not only to have an acquaintance with you, but help us to love you agape love. Help us to love you unconditionally. Help us to put you before everything in our life. And Lord, that seems so difficult sometimes. It's, it's so easy to say, but Lord, in our actions and our responses, we realize that you're not number one. Lord, help us to realize what you've done for us. Help us to put our hands in your prints and help us to put our hands in your side and, and see what price was paid for our salvation. Lord, help us to stand tall for you and help us to pick up this church with your power and, and present it to this town and help us to present your gospel to people and help us to love others as you've loved. And Lord, if we put you number one, we're going to love others the right way. It's not going to be because we're having, having to or that we regret or we're reg uh, regretful of everything we have to do. Lord, we're going to love doing it because we love you and we see the difference that you've made. Lord, help us to get our life in order. Just as you were trying to order Peter's life, help us to order our life so that we love you first and then we serve. We love you first and then we serve. We love you first and then we serve. Lord, help us to do that. Lord, speak to hearts this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.